Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name is Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they would choose to put into a time capsule. They pick four things that they treasure and would like to keep safe, but they also pick one thing that they'd like to bury and forget – My special guest in this episode, in fact in the next two episodes, is the comedy writer, journalist, DJ, television presenter, advertising star and screenwriter, Danny Baker, who's done so many different things, as the list of his titles will suggest, that if I start telling you about them all, we'll never get to the episode. Now, if you don't know who Danny Baker is, then where the bloody hell have you been for the last 45 years? Which is, of course, when he started with the punk scene Sniffing Glue. And how did you miss his great work on the New Musical Express? Or on telly in the Six O'Clock Show and 20th Century Box? Or his unique style on radio for BBC Radio 5 Live, BBC London, Radio 1 and 2, Virgin Radio, etc.? Or his chat show, Danny Baker After All? Or, in fact, the brilliant writing and ideas he had for Chris Evans on TFI Friday? Or the guest appearances on Have I Got News For You, Shooting Stars, Room 101? Or his brilliant Treehouse podcast? And what about his one-man show? And surely you remember those bloody Daz adverts? Ah, well, I'll just have to let Danny tell you all about them, and loads of other things, over the next couple of hours as I attempt to get him to talk about the five things from his life he'd like to put in a time capsule. Good luck, everyone. Here's Danny. (laughs) Hello, Dan. Good to see you, Mike. Thank you very much for asking. It's very sweet of you to do this. Not at all. No, not a man alive. I must be, uh, you know, one of the last people in show business sitting opposite you, I think. (laughs) I'm going to tell you now because in case it doesn't come up, but you provided me with absolutely the funniest moment I've ever known oh my God. on radio. I had to stop the car. What was this? It's a long time ago, Dan, but there was a, you did a, I mean, of all the thousands of things you've done on the radio, you did a thing where you asked footballers to phone in and talk about accidents they'd had in the off season. Does that ring a bell? 
No, not at all. A bloke ran you in, he was the reserve goalkeeper for Torquay, mm-hmm. and he said he was digging the garden with his dad. Yeah. And at the end of their garden was an electricity substation. It's already good. <laughs> it's good, it's good, it's working, isn't it? It's already good. <laughs> I know. So his dad said to him, you want a cup of tea? So, and he said, yeah, all right. His dad went in to get a cup of tea, and he thought, oh, my boot's full of mud. So he held onto the fence, he started shaking his mud out of his boots. And his dad came out and thought he was being electrocuted. <laughs> I don't remember this. No. How extraordinary. I don't remember that. To get him off the fence, <laughs> he grabbed the wooden handle spade <laughs> and smashed him round the shoulders. Oh, mate. Knocking him free. Oh, my Lord. Oh, Daddy. <laughs> I to this day, I just have to wow. think of that story and it makes me cry with laughter. Wow. I, I shall originate that in a, a future script. That's incredible. <laughs> I don't Indeed. remember that. I remember, you know, usually when people start, OK, I don't. And why not? Because it's... As you say, that's that's a stone cold. <laughs> it's a glorious oh, man, one, isn't it? That is incredible. Yeah. Except he's off for most of the season. Oh gosh! <laughs> well, listen, we should start because I can respond to that, and we're away. When I'm recording, I've got it here. I'm ready anytime oh, you okay. like. Yeah. So if you've got something to say that off the back of that. Do. All right. Uh, uh, do you, uh, what's, how does this start? Do you it doesn't have... really. I do a sort of a recorded intro saying how brilliant you are. I, I, I just recorded that because I, th- I thought I thought people have to sit there and suffer their CVs. I've heard it. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. Well, okay. Then if we're away, the what you said, the bane of my life. How ridiculous! No, one of the very mild uh, irritations I have is um, uh, people say uh, I was on your show once and. Will tell us the story, and normally I can pick up on it. But the 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 worst thing is when people say, "What's been the best call you ever had?" My memory is pretty you know, spacious. Yeah. I'm well known for the memory and been out to pick up. And people say, "How do you remember? You know that bit player in wagon train? How do you remember? You know <laughs> uh, theme tunes? How do you remember slogans? All of this kind of ephemera." But I can only do that on the air. I yeah. cannot do that in what we might call real life. And <laughs> yeah. people say to us, what's the best call you ever had? I go, um, and I literally cannot remember. I, I trust they were amusing while they were being broadcast, but I never have an answer to that question. No. Uh, and, and if you ask me with a gun to my head to write down 10 calls, but I think that's how it should be. Absolutely. I mean, if you just catalogued all that stuff in your head, you'd go slightly mad, wouldn't you? Yeah. And, and if I ever listened to it back in an orgy of self-congratulation, I think I would. But I've never done that. No. I've always had the idea that you're on the air to work, not appear. You're on the air to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. And uh, to have a post-mortem on that or even to you know pack your own back. It's like if you do a dog of a show and... In a career that I insist we call uneven, I've done a few. But, but the, the, the thing is, the great thing about radio, daily radio used to be, you get back on the horse the next day. And I'd like to think yeah. there were very few. And if they are a dog, you walk away from it and you say, well, that's it. There's usually technical reasons. But um, whatever it is, I've built a career out of this, um, you know, just this stream of consciousness, to, okay, always talking, which happened by <laughs> totally by accident. I wasn't ever a radio listener at all in our house. Two-way family favourites and uh, music while you work was the only two things I remember. It seems to be my generation, all of them spent time under the bed covers listening to Radio Luxembourg and and Pirate Radio. I never did. No. Um, records played a, a lot in our house, but we didn't. Radio was never, and I never listened to things like Kenny Everett. Didn't listen to John Peel much. No. Radio wasn't, um, no, it, it didn't feature. I was never a radio listener at all. Maybe that's why your style is so different to so many people. Bless you for saying the word style there, because that's what it's become. <laughs> it was, it was. Just style in a sense of a, a wooden gate you have to climb over. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I thought you said sty for a second. I mean, you know, <laughs> styles don't happen much anymore. I'm not broadcasting anymore. <laughs> 
but it just it flashes through my head. Uh, my mum used to say, if you've got a sty on your eye, which yeah. you don't get anymore, not a lot, you no. rub it with a wedding ring. And that's what you, I know. And I can see her doing it one of my aunts now. It's only because <laughs> I thought when you say sty, uh, and that to me leapt straight to um, a sty as my mum could cure by rubbing a wedding ring on it. Anyway. <laughs> extraordinary uh, thing. Uh, but I, I didn't go into radio until um, I had no plan, no agent, no nothing. And no, literally no money because again, I spend every to this day, I spend every tannery and boom goes, always has done. Uh, that's it. You're on this theme park spinning through space for 70 odd summers, and I'm not going to get to 85 on the deathbed and say, I wish I hadn't gone into terrible get going to Hawaii in 1982, which we did. <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, I was offered this job in radio. Yeah, I can do that. Greater London Radio, GLR. And, um, uh, I just thought what you did on the radio was bring in a big box of records and make a show up. Yeah. I had no idea that um, there was running order, topics of the day, usually terribly dreary ones about, you know, devil dogs and gangs. Yes. And I just, um, fortunately, they, they were only paying me um, a 70 quid uh, a shift for three hours early in the morning at 6 a.m. And I just <laughs> thought you went on there and made stuff up. You opened the microphones. Fortunately, I could do that. And I was aware that, the, uh, well, it, as it became apparent to me, that you never do the generic. You do the specific. You don't go on and say, what's your most embarrassing moment? No, no, come on. Mm. Come on. Anyone can do that. The only thing I've wanted ever to do, I said it a few times, is um, outthink the audience, uh, which is all I ever asked for something. Yeah. There's that wonderful moment, if I might illustrate it for people who don't know this, in uh, uh, I think it's in Steamboat Bill. Anyway, the Buster King film when the hurricane's coming to town. And uh, Buster Keaton is taking his house out of the hurricane's path, literally behind the car. <laughs> so Buster Keaton is driving his car across town, a false house being pulled behind his car. And as he crosses the <laughs> railway lines, it stalls. And in the distance, you see that plume of smoke of a train coming. And he looks at the camera, looks back to his house, gets out, tries to push his house off the tracks, can't do it, pushes again. The, the train is getting closer and closer and closer. He gets back in the car, tries to start the ignition, he can't. And then he gets behind <laughs> it again. And the train is now virtually here. Jumps in the car, starts, it starts, it just gets off the track as the train goes through, just misses him. Mm. Keaton looks at the camera as if to say, Hugh, from the other side of a camera comes another train and goes bang and smashes it up. And that has been a touchstone for me. Let the audience out think you, then double cross them. Yeah. And by that, all I ever meant was I've never seen a film, read a book, uh, watched television and thought I could do that. Because then they're not doing it, 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 this this atrocious thing now about we're just here for you. We're your show. You mm -hmm. tell us what what do you want? You know, <laughs> it's your, well then, but you're getting paid for it, so do something. Yes. So I started to come up with things that I'd never heard anywhere else. That even if only two people can respond to, mm -hmm. give you a radio show because everyone else leans in to their radio and thinks this is odd. Yeah. So um, uh, I've still got all the because uh, uh, I'm cannibalizing some stuff these days and even i look down the lists of these and think that's odd uh odd reasons to like a pop group <laughs> what is your house built on uh, uh, attempts to raise money as a kid uh, uh you've actually lived the pop lyric tell us about triplets uh, five great stories about goats <laughs> and you say at the top right we're not going off the air you're not a good audience unless by the end of this we get five goat stories <laughs> uh, finding it difficult to dispose of something 
uh, <laughs> thinking there's something familiar about this place. Uh, <laughs> work leaving gifts, uh, something about gunpowder. It, it's and all you got to do is throw these headings out there. If one person responds to any one of those, you've got a story. Yeah. But you go on there and say, you know, what's your thoughts about what's happening? Lazy, lazy, lazy. Mm. And of course, they're these days sat upon by 25 levels of bureaucracy above them. Yeah. But the nervousness to let an audience off the leash. And the fact that quite often I've listened to your program. Well, I've listened to it lots and lots, and I. I love the fact that you may start with a subject and then somebody will ring you up and actually the story they tell you isn't that good. But they'll mention something else and you go, hang on a minute, what's that? Tell me about that. We we had somebody on the the treehouse thing I do now and uh, his name's Bones and he rang in from Bermuda Mm. and we had him on and he'd rung in. The subject was, is there a Lothario in your family, right? (laughs) (laughs) And Bones rang in to tell us about a Lothario uh, in his family. Yeah. Uh, and he said, uh, you know, I'm sure my family, uh, he just said in passing, my family will uh, tell you that I, I should be ringing in about myself, but I'm ringing in about my uncle. I said, what, why, why? See, that's the other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, without, I mean, I'm, if, if what nitwit value it's got, the thing is you don't listen to your producer saying, right, five minutes to the news. I never, ever in all my career, and unfortunately, you know, it worked. Yeah, yeah. I've never had talk back in my headphones. Never. Not for a second. Because I can't. No. I used to work with Michael Aspel. And Aspel will have one person talking in this ear, <laughs> one person talking in that ear, and could read autocue at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But I physically can't. A few times it's happened. I stop. <laughs> I'll be going, see, the thing is about having the thought, what? Oh, no, no. <laughs> what was I saying? And I literally can't do it. I was saying... <laughs> And so it's, it's my fault, but it's turned into a style whereby uh, I actually, although this is, listen to what the people are saying. So Bones was saying, you know, they say I should be Lothario, but my uncle, I said, why? He said, what? I said, well, why do they think you should be Lothario? Who are you to be a Lothario? He went, <laughs> well, I was once branded Britain's biggest love rat. I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, yeah. He said, um, I, uh, I was on Blind Date years ago. And uh, I said, you was on Blind Date? Brilliant. How did you get to be on Blind Date? Yeah. Right. Um, because the thing is, I know we're making it sound like revolutionary, but that's what a conversation is. So he said, well, a friend of mine, blah, blah. And, and he told us how he got on blind date. And he said he was had such a terrible hangover. <laughs> he said, um, uh, I didn't listen to anything any of the contestants had said. And then Scylla t- turned to me and said, so what one you picking, Shock? And he said, he said, I snapped out of it. And I just said, oh, the one on the end. And of course, you can't see anyone. She went, you can't say that. What do you mean? The audience all laughed. He went, well, anyone on... Either end. So there's only three of them. <laughs> he said, but the one nearest to me. Now, at that point, I said, well, here, my friend, before we get on to what happened to him beyond that, I became Britain's biggest love rat. Uh, I said, my friend had one of the most responsible and crucial jobs in all British television at that point. My mate, Philip Burkett, who used to work in the post room at LWT, later ITV Studios. Yeah. Uh, he was a friend of mine out of uh, Bermondsey, and he uh, he got a job in, he was the only person, in, in apart from the canteens, the only other generally working class person in the building. Uh, <laughs> and uh, as they were down in the post room, he used to work with Mary Buckingham, who lived in Gillam House on my estate. So they, that was the post room. Anyway, he, he eventually got a job in um, sort of the uh, scene doc. And on Blind Date, his job, Mike, was when she said, well, let's see who you've chosen. The wall used to slide back. Uh, yes. Well, behind the wall was a, a, a looped rope that Phil had to put his arm through and get on his shoulder. And when she said that and the music played, he had to walk 10 paces so the wall slid back. And then she, <laughs> she said, let's see who else is on blind day. He had to push it back again. That was his job. So uh, Bones, anyway, said he chose this girl. Um, he said, we went to Las Vegas. 
Now, remember, he's not rung in about this. He wasn't going to say no, this. No, he's talking about and his he said, we went, we went to Las Vegas. I said, what a gig. What a gig. Because when I got to... Sorry, everyone will start the show in a minute. Uh, <laughs> when I um, used to watch Blind Date, and, and do you remember this, to give envelopes to see where you want to go? Pick an envelope. Yeah. And I got to know the cameraman uh, a London weekend when I worked there for eight years. And a fellow called Trevor was one of the cameramen on Blind Date as well. I said, I bet your heart's in your mouth when they go, you know, if there's, there's South End and then there's, but there's Vegas in there as well. And he looked at me like I was an absolute bumpkin. <laughs> he said, well, they're all the same, aren't they? I <laughs> of course said, they are, yeah. I said, I know. And it was only at that moment I went, oh, yes, of course they are. I went, didn't you, what did you think that we then went ahead and booked whatever they picked? They had no choice. The crew knew, lovely, we're going to Vegas, you know. Yeah. So so uh, uh, he got this um, uh, trip out to Vegas. And, he, and I said, how did it go? He said, oh. But he said, we argued from the moment the show ended. I said, how do you fall into an argument for somebody? <laughs> he said, we did. He said, the, he said, she wouldn't talk to me. He said, it was all terrible. And we did Vegas and we came home. He said, but that, in the meantime, my girlfriend had got in touch with the newspapers. <laughs> said, don't. He said, yeah. He said, I didn't tell her I was on it. She was watching Blind Date and I was on it. Oh, my said, God. He said, and so I was branded Britain's biggest love rat. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Now, that's just going back to your thing about um, hearing something in passing. Yeah, off you go. Off you go. Uh, but if you've got a producer in you saying, get him back to the point, get him back to the point, uh, move on, we've got something, that ain't going to happen. No. That ain't radio. Uh, that, that's, that, that, that's just, uh, you know, that, that's a, a paper script. Uh, well, you know, like anything, I mean, it, like this has a, a format but it has a format in order to get people to talk about things. Yeah, but yeah. but I'm very happy when people just talk. I like it. Well, you may you may you may have struck oil here. You may have struck oil here. But that, uh, as I say, um, over the years, and certainly I, I I meant to retire. Perhaps I really should have done about five years ago. I mean, I'm, I'm 65 now, and uh, uh, I'm, I think I've been doing this longer. Than anyone now, apart from let's think uh, Jimmy Talbuck. Uh, uh, I think uh, uh, I don't feel venerable, or certainly, but sometimes I'll, I get described as the vintage broadcaster, <laughs> and I think, oh yeah, but you think, yeah. I mean, I started the first television I did was in 1978. I yeah. mean, yourself you, so it, it, it's slightly different, I suspect, but actually to be in this racket, whatever it is I do, mm. for that long. And everyone I meet, even, you know, I talk to Stephen Fry, so I've been doing it longer than Stephen, a bit longer than anybody. Yes. I've been around. <laughs> yes, we at school. I know. It's odd to think that, that that's that passage of time. And I did genuinely, because I've never, ever, and this sounds again like uh, so much chin music, mm. I've never planned a thing, obviously. I think that's about the scattershot things I do, whether it's the writing, the presenting, the radio, whatever it is. Uh, and I've, I've always been quite indolent, which sounds odd, having, you know, pretty much worked solid for 45 years. But is it work? Uh, <laughs> so I thought at 60 I'd stop, uh, and the book came out, and they asked me to um, promote it, mm -hmm. a, a live event. And um, I just went up there and rather like this, started soaring it out to a, an audience who were in. I'd never done anything. I'd written for every comedian in Britain, but yeah. never, ever have I wanted to do that or be on stage. Never. No. So I did this and it went very well. And the, afterwards they said, do you want to do another of those? I said, well, uh, if, you, if you like. They said, it's just, just, you know, you could tour this. And I, I said, oh, yes, of course. Yes, now I'm a touring. I was like, uh -huh. <laughs> they came back with 10 dates and the money. And I said, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll just do this, then I'll retire, because that was the whole point of the first book. And um, 10 led on to 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 dates we did. Wow. And anyone who attended those, no, they originally started at, at the City Variety uh, in Leeds, 
uh, and I was told do 90 minutes. That's that's what people expect. So I did 95 that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sheffield got to about hour, hour and three quarters. Yeah. By the end of it, it was it was fully four hours. <laughs> you were doing right? the full Ken Dodd. Yeah. I, I prefer Bruce Springsteen, oh, okay. if you will. No, no, no. <laughs> I, mean, I believe me, Dodd is the, best, the real reference there. And uh, the audience never left. And by the end of the show. I'd only just left school in the narrative yeah. because uh, I started telling stories about me old man and things and I enjoyed it. And then we did a second tour and there's a third one next year. And then that is it. June the 22nd next year. That is it. Oh, I'll have uh, to try and be there. It's my birthday, June the 22nd. Uh, and I think at 66, that's plenty. I don't want to be, you yeah. know, kicking my legs up, doing whatever it is at, at, at 70. And, and also, as I say, it's a very exciting prospect. The prospect of doing nothing, mm. which has literally been my dream all my life, like everybody else, <laughs> I do not see the dig- dignity of work. When people say, "Oh, you you wouldn't be out to retire," just watch me. Yeah, yeah, uh, it is. Yeah, uh, because- I go to the pub on a Tuesday night with some mates of mine from my town. I live in Tunbridge Wells, although I am originally a Bermondsey boy. So there yes, we go. Yes, you are. Illerton mm. Road, I understand. Illerton Road, to, uh, that's right. Confused yeah. the audience. Yeah, uh, but, which um, but we know where it uh, is, just around the corner from Millwall. It is just the exact the path. Well, I didn't take that path. I went up the other way. I'm sorry, audience. Uh-huh. It's, uh, just, it's minutiae here. But uh, if you want to go to South Bermondsey Station, the next thing is Alderton Road. And when you told me that, immediately I thought, sister. <laughs> I, uh, I, just, I just thought, extraordinary. Nobody, you put that kind of local reference in. But we, yeah, we seem to have. And given we're the same age, mm. and you went to Alderton Road School, you I told did, me. I did, yeah. We beat one nil in the semi final, and I scored the goal when I was about 10. Uh, rather, I've junior mixed anyway. Um, and uh, uh, well, yes, we are literally a couple, literally a couple of streets apart. Amazing, uh, isn't it? It, it? That is extraordinary. I, I, I didn't know that about you. No, in fact, I sort of knew you wear it, it lightly, you. whereas me, I tell anyone, <laughs> <laughs> I tell bus conductors. Well, I've, I've, I've been in the same room with you a number of times at sort of award things and uh, oh. those sort of things. And I've, I've, As I remember, you asked for the white wine and then complained to me. Yeah, so I was a man with the cloth over yeah. my arm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about me. We're both being <laughs> self-effacing and lying we're yeah, both yeah. being. Anyway, uh, go on. No, uh, and I've a number of times thought I'll, I'll go up and, you know, tell well, you. I wish I would. I'll tell you that we were uh, born well, a couple of streets apart. But, uh, but it's always, you know what it's like, everybody's talking to everybody else and it never happened. So I'm yeah, glad uh, to get uh, that chance to let you know. Yeah, well, thank you. very. And, and, and as I say, I'm, I've been uh, uh, very remiss in, in, in not doing this. Everyone <laughs> said, oh, you've got to do it, you've got to do it, you've got to do it. But as I say... And, uh, I, I have I, badgered you something rotten No, do it's, it's, I don't. I don't do a lot. I mean, God knows people don't ask us to do anything these days, but they, uh, but the, the, but I, I, I can be absolutely honest, Mike, half an hour ago, I said to my wife, why do I agree to do things like Mm -hmm. this? I'm sitting here quite happily flicking playing cards into a top hat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very important thing. It is. No, with with all due, because I listened to the show, but uh, do I, people we all think, oh, shut up, you're a rampant egomaniac. There is that bit in my private life. Professionally, I literally couldn't care less. No. You know, I, I, um, it sounds terrible. I enjoy doing the shows, but uh, I, I do like them um, when they're over. But, of course, you can always do this with mates, if needs be. But that, that's fortunately what I've been able to make a living on. Mm. I am like this in real life, uh, whatever this is. Yeah. And, you know, people say to Wendy, you know, is he like this indoors? And she'll... <laughs> So yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I've been a Pollyanna uh, since the day I was born. I honestly, every single phase of my life from being a, a from being born, I've had a tremendous time. People don't like to hear that. No. They like to they like to hear the struggle. <laughs> yes, they like they, they do. They like to have the cellos playing behind. But then <laughs> life started turning dark. I've had a rainbow around my shoulder and a hat on the side of my head since the day I was born. Mm. I'm not entitled 
the word, the life of Adam. I'm not entitled to be gloomy or introspective. No. Uh, very quickly, the, I was the third born of our family. Mm-hmm. And because my mum and dad were living in, in Church Street, Deptford, in the flats uh, with two bedrooms, they went to the council and said, look, and uh, they were the old flats now, they're worth bundles, of course. Yeah. Look, we're having another baby. We can't have three kids. Uh, and uh, so they sent to us to a new estate just built in 1957 called the Silwood, a uh, huge estate down in, in Rotherhide, Bermondsey. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were given a house with a bathroom, a little garden, Lovely council. That's when people hear about council flats, always negative stuff. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to move off the estate. Never, never, never. No. I didn't leave home until I was 20. I lived there in that bed until I was 20. I was flying off to America <laughs> to do Michael Jackson, coming back to my mum and dad's place. Uh, uh, because everyone I knew was there. When people moved away, other kids moved away, you'd say, where are you going? Yeah. I was moving to Kidbrook. Before. No aspiration Aspiration in, in, you know, is now used as a word that's positive and you should have. Didn't ever, I couldn't think of anything worse than moving away from the Silwood. Yeah. Uh, the pictures was up there. Everyone knew, knew exactly where you were. And so it was, I was 20 by the time I moved away. But we, I was I was born uh, in Deptford and then we moved straight to the Silwood Estate. Mm. And I couldn't help feel partially responsible for the upswing in my family's fortunes. <laughs> I did this. No, me, not, me not being born, they'd have still been in that pokey flat in Deptford. Uh, my mum used to say, you got us this garden, and I'm afraid that does something to a chest. Yes, it does. Busty, you owe me. At, you owe me. Three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. But So there's the, um, uh, th- there's the reason that perhaps... There's something about that area, though, because um, you are very reminiscent for me of several of my cousins who, oh. who continued to live in that area. Now, when I was eight, yeah. we moved out to Orpington. So we, yeah. we upgraded, yeah. as it were. The, all my cousins that stayed in Bermondsey, my uncle had a shop on the Blue. Oh, right. You know, in the Southern Park Road, for people that know, it was known as the Blue, after the pub, the Blue Anchor, which is halfway down. Yeah, he had a jeweler shop there. My best friend, Tommy Hodges, we may mention when we get, actually get the show on the road, <laughs> uh, his uncle, Benny, used to run the fish store in Southern Park, in the Blue. Oh, really? Uh, Benny Hodges, uh, Bill Hodges used to have the tobacconist in Robert Ivenu Road. Right. Uh, and one of their uncles uh, was on the board of WH Smiths, and that was a uh, yeah we yeah they 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 were uh, Tom you know as as working class as you like, but they had that in the family. Yeah. So we always uh, thought they they're, they're doing all right the Hodges. Well, all you know, my uncles and everything, they all did well for themselves in the end because they were all made redundant as dockers. Yeah, yeah. They got big payoffs, and they invested it. It depended when you went. My old man ah. took it. He took it. Uh, when it was about 600 quid, which early oh. in 1979, I think, was still 600 quid. The next week, it went up to 1,100. <sighs> my old man could swear every, you know, in every sentence. <laughs> and by, to be fair, you never heard anything like it when he read that no, the week after he took oh, six. Oh, God. The week after he took And the worst day's work he ever did. He, he left a dock and he always used to say, worst day's work I ever did, mm. uh, because all his mates were still there and his brothers are still there. He was one of 14, the old man, if you wow. don't mind. Yeah. And so our house was always full of aunts, uncles, brands, you know, mm-hmm. in the flats. And so is our house ever since, because Wendy, my wife, is one of 10. Wow. Um, she's the youngest of 10. So growing up, our kids had uh, were fortunate enough to have that as well. But I inherited my old man's... Um, a pretty bulletproof outlook on life. Yeah. Uh, he's, he, he, that's why he overwhelms both my books and the shows. Mm. And one of the things I've actually, sorry to preempt, uh, not put in it, I th- thought about it, is um, I found a, a, a tape, not a tape, it, it, I was clearing out, my computer was slowing down, and my son said, Dad, do you know you've got three copies of like everything? Yeah. Because I don't understand when you transfer things, it makes another copy of it. <laughs> yes. So, the whole thing had come to a standstill. <laughs> so I sat there clearing all this stuff out. I thought, oh, what's, what's this? I don't know what, all these photos I had six copies of. And, mm. and then there was this little tiny file that I didn't recognise. Oh, what's that? 
And I, I clicked on it, and it was an audio file from something I don't even remember. I couldn't recognize what the little logo was on it. And at some time, must be 20-odd years ago, I heard my old man in full flood at the kitchen table here at a party, and uh, I must have pressed record. And he was telling a story, and his voice suddenly went boom out wow. of the speaker's voice. And the story was about how he, when he was in the dock, he thought he'd killed this bloke who was a strike breaker. And it's a very funny story. And it was, and I, I'm incorporating it into the next uh, tour. Mm. I did it uh, at Blackheath Halls. I put it on there um, because people think I exaggerate and uh, overinflate him and, and massage the stories. And when you hear him tell this, you realize, if anything, I don't do him justice. <laughs> the, the, the so you're going to play that, the recording? Uh, yeah, with the oh, rhythms, brilliant. the language, yeah. the story itself, yeah, yeah. The, and you can hear that's exactly it. And sometimes I think, do I over-romance the old man's legacy of memory and, and spirit and personality? No. You hear this again, and I played it, my daughter's immediately burst into tears. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, it's such a great story, the, this little file I found by accident. I've been laying dormant 20-odd years. I don't recall recording five minutes of him in the chair. Oh, brilliant. And it is just superb. Anyway, but that's uh, not. And that's not going in. No, it's not. It won't. No. I promise we get to the first one any okay, second yeah. now. <laughs> I am the least sentimental person in the world. And I know that's the, 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 I know exactly how the contents of the show go, but I've never been able to do the sort of, this means it's my dad's watch. I'd have that because I can't do that. <laughs> when I was in the jungle, which is the second best gig I ever had, isn't that? Oh, yeah, the, the jungle was absolutely spe- just spectacular. <laughs> I was honestly, it really is. Yes. You get flown first class to be on the biggest show in Britain. People say, oh, how can you eat those bugs? Don't be so naive, you know, like there's not 92 crew members around you, like there's not been an hour's break while they set it all up. (laughs) Anyway, so um, you're sent over there. I was put up in a first-class hotel away from each other for weeks. Then I went in last. I was first out, which means you've got 15 days in the other hotel, the Versace (laughs) Hotel. Lovely. Every bottle of Chablis and lobster you pick up, ITV, so we'll get that. (laughs) And you're given six-figure fee. So people say, oh, how can you go on it? <laughs> you should be. Yeah, any rate, that, that was probably the second best job I ever had. But they ask you when you're in there to jump through the hoops, which is why I didn't last. Because when they say, you're getting letters from home. Mm. Wendy's like me and my kids are like me. We're going to have my son write a letter saying, Dad, we can't find his letter from home. We can't find the key to the shed out the back. We've looked everywhere. Do you know where it might be? That was going yeah. to be my letter from, and that is very much our outlook. Mm-hmm. I can't do that sort of. We're so proud of you. You're doing great, <laughs> and then you put your hand here. I told them that. So I knew the producers. I yeah. said, I can't do that. I said, Don't ask me to do that. Don't ask me to emote. It's no one else's business. No, there's not enough of that anymore, Mike. My mum. If anyone come round and started unburdening himself, reaching out, having feels, <laughs> my mum would put her hand on their knee and say, oh, don't mind me saying so, mate. It's none of my business. Yeah. That, I'm afraid, is, is the way forward. Yeah. Even Desert Island Discs. <laughs> uh, when I was on Desert Island Discs, I just chose the first 10 records I can remember hearing <laughs> because they've been with me the longest. Underneath the Arches by Max Bygraves, you know, uh, I can't remember this, some of the others. There was a Bing Crosby song, When You Come to the End of a Lollipop and things like this. And uh, Kirsty, you know, she she was very disappointed. She kept trying to probe. Yeah, yeah. So when you think about this, do you think about your father? I said, not particularly. I said, these records have been with us for ages. I'm not sick of them. Uh, and I'm not going to sit here and do that. Well, that was the Ramones. Now I've got a piece of Sibelius. You know, yeah. you know you're well-rounded. And so I couldn't emote there. And my initial thing here was, well, what should I, you know, pick? Some, yes, I, th- I hope they're going to be entertaining, but I can't do all that. It's fine. 
all these things, they're sparking off memories for me. It's extraordinary. My mum went to school with uh, Max Brightgraves. Did she? Yeah. Did she? Yeah. Brisbane Street Junior School, I think. It was good. Wow. Because uh, the Tommy Steele, Max Brightgraves all came out. There were streets around there. Mm. Tommy Steele, one of the best interviews I've ever, ever done. Right. Twice I've done Tommy. And uh, there's no one like him. Absolutely nobody like people. That, that is one question I can answer. When mm-hmm. people say, who's the greatest interview? Tommy Steele. Oh, none. Tommy Steele's the best interview you'll, you'll ever do. Uh, he's too huge. What a life. Unbelievable. What a life. See, the thing is, I said, when you actually, in like 63, 64, went to Broadway and you're in half a sixpence and <clears throat> all the shows, yeah. you know, and six years before you're rocking with the caveman, Lionel Bart and all that, I said, was that a jump? He went, no. He said, you feel, I was a merchant seaman. I've been to New York loads of times. Oh, wow. I knew, I, he said, I'd take other people out to eat. He said, I, I, no. He said, that wasn't. He said, Hollywood was slightly different. He said, but no, I've been all over the South. He said, certainly New York. He said, I've been to stacks of times. Wow. And that is a weird thing. Isn't that, it? That, you know, you tend to think he was just lucked out into that. And he's a brilliant entertainer. But when he tells you stories, and there's very few people who can do that, he said, when we made, I remember saying, Finian's Rainbow. Oh. He said, that's when I was in Hollywood. He said, I was on the set. I think Warner Brothers made it. He said, and uh, it was directed by Coppola, wasn't it? It was Francis Ford Coppola's film. So he said he didn't know what he was doing. He said he did not know what he was doing. He said, and uh, Gene Kelly was on it. He said, and he would go over and tell him what to do. He said, and the first day I had to work with Astaire, who was also in it, he said, I was sent to this soundstage. He said, it was very dark, and I could see him at the end. Then big gates like you're seeing. I walked through him, few people around. He was just dancing on his own in the gloom. Wow. And I had to go over and introduce myself. He said, he saw me coming towards him and he had a cigarette in his mouth. He took it out. He said, he put it on the floor. He said, he did this step to put it out, which was unbelievable. <laughs> and he said, and then I walked towards him and I said, uh, Mr. Astaire, my name's Tommy Steele. He said, I know who you are, Tommy. He said, he said we're going to have a great time. He said, and so he starts talking about what he was out with Fred Astaire and equally Max Bygraves, of course. People forget mm. he was a big noise in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, yeah. Big noise. Judy Garland took him under his wing. He supported her at the Palace Theatre. Max come home because his wife hated the life. Rather like Norman Wisdom, who again was the toast of Broadway. Mm. And he came home because his wife wouldn't bring the kids up. He came home to bring his own kids up. Wow. All these people we now think are silly old well, clips on YouTube. Like us, we'll all be there. Giants. We're those oh, people. We should we'll be in there, there already, uh, I think. You we'll know. always be in their shadow. Yeah. But anyway. But my, I've uh, got a photograph of my dad performing at Southern Park with um, with Norman, Norman Wisdom. Is he? Yeah. And, uh, it could be a nuisance, Norman Wisdom. He was on, in character all the time. Yes, Certainly quite. In, when I ever met him. Mm. It, was, it was like Frank Carson always taking... Frank Carson, if you asked for a photo or not, would take it out of his inside pocket, sign it for you and place it in your head. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that kind of show. Uh, yeah. But, uh, Norman Wisdom would be like that. It was on all the mm, time. Yeah, yeah. But it's strange things. See, I've forgotten a lot of these things. I know they're true, but it's like... On your radio shows, people start talking about things and they suddenly remember that they'd been on Blind Date. Yeah. It's weird, isn't yeah. it? I mean, my dad told me that he went in a taxi to the London Palladium with Max Bygraves and they were talking about jokes. Have you got any jokes for me? And he sat there and they went through some jokes and he practised them with him in the taxi because he'd been told he was going to be bumped up to be top of the bill because oh. Ted Ray was ill. Oh, man. It was a turning point in his career. Absolutely. And needed the material on the way. Yeah. Oh. See, Paul Bygraves was actually a very thoughtful person. I knew him a little bit, and I went to his offices over in Victoria, 
And uh, he was very shrewd. I mean, he owned mm. Oliver for, for a while, then he bought it off Lionel Bart. Yeah. Uh, but he was uh, an extraordinary hardworking fellow who turned his back on America and came back here. Now only remembered for a one or tell you a story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I used to do a thing on the radio of Max Bygrave singing the ballad of John and Yoko. That's one of the few impressions. <laughs> Standing in the dock at Southampton, trying to get to Holland or France, the man in the Max said, you got to go back, Max. They didn't give Jeff Love here a chance. And, they, and with a karaoke backing, and, the, and yet the BBC let me go. I can't imagine why. But Bygraves, yeah, these are giants for me. Not Jimi Hendrix, not Eric Clapton. Bygraves and, and, and that era of entertainer. Because you read their stories and they are extraordinary. They're not just the, your mum and dad's favourites. They were canny, more canny than that, and their careers lasted a very, very long time. Do you want the first one? Yeah, come on. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> what have we done? <laughs> Hour and a half. Uh, right, time for a quick breather, I think. So here's an ad break. Of course, if you'd rather listen without ads, we'll soon be offering you the chance to do exactly that and help this podcast continue by becoming an Acast Plus subscriber. But for now, just by listening, you're already helping us. So thanks. We'll be back after these commercials, which also help. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back. Right, deep breath. Here's the rest of the things that Danny Baker would like to put in his time capsule. And a few other things as well, of course. The very first one is the smell of the E.T. ride at Universal Studios, Orlando, Florida. Ah. All civilised people agree. I hate, that's always a barometer for me, like the Laurel and Hardy thing and, um, you know, P.G. Woodhouse. Uh, people who say, oh, Disney World, I'd rather spend it trekking through Cambodia. <laughs> well done. Well, that's fine. That's fine. You may be deeper than I am, and I'm sure it's much more enriching. <laughs> However, taking the kids to Disney World every year from 1984 mm. to about two years ago, I love it. I love it over there. I always loved America. I used to dream, literally dream about being in America. I first went on Freddie Lake, a sky train for 60 quid. <sighs> me and my mate were sitting in the pub, the Albion, down by Rotherive Tunnel, and we saw it in the paper. You could go to America for 60 pounds on one way, Freddie Lake, a sky train. And we both had record collections, so we sold that, gathered some more. This was, this was on the Wednesday. On the Thursday, hmm. and this sounds like science fiction, we went to Victoria Station where there was a booth, like a, a GPO tent, uh, on there, and it said Freddie Lake, the Sky Train, and you could w- rock up to it and say, um, 
can we get uh, two tickets on the four o'clock? And they'd say, okay, uh, blah, 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 <laughs> stand up and give us a 60 quid. And we get both gave them 60 quid. And they printed you out a ticket and you got on the train and you went to uh, Heathrow or Gatwick, wherever it, and you got on the plane and went. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say just like a train, but you can't even do that on a train. Now. We both went the next day, uh, but I, I dreamed. I used to dream about America, and I still, like most of uh, our generation, still fantasize America, uh, whether it's reality or not. Mm. But Disney World never lets us down. <laughs> I love it. I, I, anyone who ever goes there, I give them the way to do it. I know the way to do it, believe me. And you go around it, and nothing, I know Universal is separate from and almost overtaking these days, but nothing... In a life that I say I've, I've had very, very few clouds pass through, but I um, uh, I can always see beyond those. Uh, nothing is quintessential to me as being absolutely enjoying life more than the smell of the going into the ET ride. But as you know, you go through a fake woods. You stand in the, the queue, takes you through a, a woodland. Yeah. Um, it's at night mm-hmm. and it's the ET woods. But there's a smell in there. That when we used to go in, I try and fill my lungs and, and husband it till we got home again. You know, it's it's just it's just a woodland smell. Right. And it was my son who first said it in the gift shop afterwards. He said he was about eight. Son, he said, uh, Dad, do you think they sell that smell? Uh, and we all laughed. And I said, Do you know what they're missing out on a fortune there? Mm. I would buy if they did that as a Glade type air freshener. <laughs> I would. I wouldn't go out. I'd just leave it permanently on, and I'd sit in the front room weeping into my hands that I'm not there. But it's <laughs> it's not particularly the ride, which is fine. You know, it's that moment of being away. All of us, over the years, I've taken various family members and friends, and we all go as a troop. Mm. And I, I adore it. I adore the whole vulgar commercial thing. To me, it's 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 home. Yeah, I love it. And uh, it, rather than bring it down to one ride or or just Disney World itself, that smell. And now they do. They sell candles, believe it or not. Really? Yeah, they sell candles. <laughs> they must have overheard. Eating. Yeah, they do. The haunted mansion. Yeah. But they don't. They don't smell like it. They don't. No. Maybe there is no smell, but to me, there is. It's the. Uh, it, I don't they, remember it at all. I don't remember that. Yeah, smell. there's a. You have to be in the woods for about ten minutes before you're given the uh, your bike to ride over the moon. Oh, oh, across the moon. Marvelous. Across the moon. Yeah, it is. Right. And you, and uh, people who don't know this or couldn't care less about it, when you go in uh, to the ride, Steven Spielberg himself addresses you <laughs> on film and tells you what you're about to experience. And then you have to give a person at a desk a name. Because as you leave, if you remember, E.T.'s there and says bye-bye to everybody as they go past. <laughs> bye-bye, Mike. Bye-bye, Danny. <laughs> bye-bye, Bonnie. They do this. And of course, of course, people give the most preposterous <laughs> name. They do. Nothing vulgar because they wouldn't have that. But they, that's half the fun of it. Yeah. But the reason I include that is because, um, and I'm sure, and I know many people have included holiday destinations, and I thought about the Norfolk Broads, which is our holiday growing up. We always went to the Broads. Mm. Well, when me old man, <laughs> the bookies have been kind to him or he had a claim in, we'd go to Norfolk Broads for a fortnight. That's a long uh, way to go, you know. I mean, uh, knowing almost everybody from that area, people didn't often go further than Hailing Island, you know. No, my old man, uh, Docker, he, he, my mum worked in Shuttleworth's uh, Chocolate Factory and then Peak Freens inevitably. Most Peak Freens, my mum worked at Peak Freens. There you go. Well, uh, that's it. They may, may well have known each other. May well have done, yeah. Uh, Bet Baker worked in uh, Shuttleworth Chocolate Factory, uh, where I um, their Christmas parties. And again, this is a, a thing that uh, works Christmas parties. Even when I worked at LWT in the 80s and early 90s, they had Christmas parties for all the employees and their families with a proper fairground inside and, <laughs> and presents for all the kids at the end of it. Imagine that now, but that's what they used to do. <laughs> and Shuttleworth did that. And when, one of the other times I thought, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm alive. This is it. 
I was about five and went to the Shuttleworth's Christmas party. It, by the way, everyone, they we're talking about a chocolate factory here. Mm-hmm. My mum worked in a real Willy Wonka land, <laughs> like that, and they had it. And I never forget um, the turn who came out at the end with Father Christmas and sang happy songs to the kids as we queued up. And he sang, why does a brown cow give white milk when it only eats green grass? <laughs> That's the burning question. Let's have your suggestion. So why does a brown cow give white milk when it only eats green grass? I don't know. You don't know. And neither does the cow. Ding. I, could, oh. I, mean, I heard that once and I can remember it. I'm not surprised, actually. I, God, I, wish, I'd, I wish I knew that song. I would have used it in panto. And then I was given a pretty decent compendium of games. Oh, oh I got the paper off that. A compendium of games. That's a great thing, a compendium of games. That's hours and hours of fun. Absolutely. I mean, they make all this fuss about Nintendo. And they play Pandium, turn the board over its snakes and ladders, turn it again, it's Ludo, open it up another way, it's a draft set. Anyway, little yeah. tiny draft. So uh, uh, my mum worked there, my dad at the dock. That's where I get my – well, I, people say it's reckless, but it's not. I've, I've, you know, no pockets in a shroud and all that. Mm. And uh, he made sure we always – went first class whether we had a first class ticket or not uh we'd go, <laughs> but you'd go liverpool street when we're getting it and i can remember the journey to um norwich change there to horning go to chumley and Holt boatyard get the boat out get on there there'd be provisions because they'd sent you a list tick do you want cornflakes on board and all this mm-hmm. that again is now making me feel maybe that's better than the et ride but i'll stick with the et smell uh but the norfolk broads was our thing lovely i wrote the first book about hearing sitting at the back of the boat looking at the water being churned up as my old man was taking us off to Ackle or you know, Potterheim or something. Mm. And on the radio, the Hollies bus stop gave way to Riverdeep Mountain High. And I remember looking into that, and I promise you, Mike, I looked into that bubbling water as the boat was pooling along, and I thought, I want to capture this. And I said out loud three times, this is happening now. This is happening now. This is happening now. As if to say this you know, it, it's terrible. I know most people are tend to look down uh, at life, but I've always looked up and I thought, this is great. Mm-hmm. I've lucked out into one here, whatever shell I was putting up there for this time around, <laughs> this is great. Uh, so uh, uh, all of that, the smells of the shops, the little tiny riverside shops, but I'll go with the ET ride because, um, to represent them all. They represent, it represents, it's not just a holiday. It represents that feeling that can't be replicated and, and you can't nail down. Yeah. Happiness is what I guess <laughs> yeah. it is. Yeah. As a very happy individual anyway. That moment when we go in there and we all look at each other and go, <laughs> ah, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. It does have a, it's a kind of musty, foresty smell. Mm. Uh, but it, it's a lovely feeling. And that thing, we've been on a holiday, going around the city rides, thinking, where are we going to have lunch out of this? We'll sit by the pool this afternoon and we'll go over to Epcot and see the fireworks tonight. Fantastic. That's me. Uh, I know, I know Prague has its joys, <laughs> and as, as does Vienna. But believe me, downtown Orlando, <laughs> I won't lie to you, New York and Orlando, that's it. Bury my heart. Bury my heart over at the Snow White ride. So that would be my number one. Lovely. So you only, you only went to Hayling Island and up the road, well, yeah? Occasionally we go to the Isle of Wight, you know, we go abroad. Well, you are. There's just been an old joke, of yeah. course. Um, I've heard you mention that before. And I've also, <laughs> there's that old joke about, um, I've been overseas. Where'd you go? The Isle of Wight. That's not overseas. You try walking there. So that, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that is absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, but no, my, 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 again, because background, my, my old man used to say, and this is, again, the opposite to receive wisdom or what people say. It was a real force of nature, my old man, and again, very unsentimental mm. and uh, left with no doubt about whatever opinion he held, which was terrific. <laughs> anyway, and he, um, he'd say, uh, not what brawls handsome. You see, when I was, you know, he said, Oppie, 
He said it was the worst thing you could imagine. You hear people saying, oh, we're lovely. I mean, it's fucking horrible. Hovels. <laughs> they treated us like we were, you know, like they were Kulex. He yeah, used to yeah. say, it's very big union, man, my old man. Mm. Like, like they were Kulex. And, and we were just, he said, you go there. He said, and people say, oh, it was lovely every night. It's a similar load of people you don't like talking a load of old bollocks, running fire. <laughs> horrible. I've, he said, I went twice, never again. Uh, <laughs> my mother, who was very working class, used to say, oh, that's only for the working classes. <laughs> As if she was posh. <laughs> well, he, he was. He was. Nothing if say died in a war. Say union leader, one of fourteen kids, and uh, uh, when his mum. Because our family was a real matriarchy, as is the one uh, we're in now. When he said that seven sisters, mm. our house was always full of them. But his mum, Alice Baker, Ma Baker, when she went, they named the pub is still there over on the Isle of Dogs. She was not a sweet old lady. Alice got to a 92. Brian Hayes was the phoning fellow on the radio. Yeah. And she used to sit there shouting at the radio, <laughs> listen to this piss pot. Freddie, write a letter. She'd say, my dad, Freddie, write a letter to him. And she'd come out with the most coruscating, foul mouth letter. Post that off, Freddie. Yeah, she was. She did everything in her life. She was a doctor. She drove munitions trucks. She owned pubs. Uh, my dad's dad died in 1953. Uh, dear old Tom apparently is a very... Very gentle soul, but so they had 14 kids between them. But she was the powerhouse. Yeah. Alice was the powerhouse. And uh, uh, when she broke her hip, about 85 she was, she broke her hip. She didn't want to go in hospital. She had that thing, if you go in hospital, you don't come out. Mm-hmm. No, thanks, Freddie. I'll be all right. In the end, she had to go. And they said, Mrs. Baker, we're going to set it and all this. And Freddie, come and get me tomorrow. I don't care what state. I mean, take me out tomorrow. And they told her she'd have to have a Zimmer frame. She wouldn't have it. She wouldn't have a Zimmer frame. She said, uh, she told Elfie or Harper or one of the others to go and buy a second-hand pushchair from a junk shop, <laughs> fill it with bricks and put a blanket over it so it looks like it's shopping. And she used to walk around with that <laughs> rather than – because she said, I'm not even Campbell, which is the other old lady lived in her mm-hmm. life. I'm not even Campbell looking out saying, oh, Baker's on a Zimmer frame. She ain't letting her do that. So she had this little pram filled with bricks <laughs> rather than walk around with a Zimmer frame. <laughs> Brilliant. So anyway, my old man's best friend, Wally, his brother and sister – of pickpockets, which my old man really didn't like. Mm. Oysters, they used to call them. Right, yeah. They say, don't bring them, don't, it, 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 they turn up sometimes. Don't, don't do that. I'm dipping people in the West End. They say, it's only, don't care. Don't want them in the house. He said, I don't care who they, they oyster from. Uh, and he, even though, you know, my old man as a docker levied a, a, a export tax on everything that went through the docks and Julie brought it home, <laughs> uh, he couldn't stand oysters, pickpockets. And uh, they were never allowed into our house. And uh, even though Wally was his best friend and they were absolutely inseparable. Don't bring him around here, dirty bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That honest people didn't care what it was about. That. He was he genuinely could not bear. No. Uh, again, he, he never went, my man never had a bank account in his life. All the money was kept under the carpet, under a wardrobe. I remember him saying to mates, he said, one day you pull back the wardrobe and there's nothing there, so you've got to go out and forage. That's what he used to call it, <laughs> forage. Uh, which just meant what he did when he left the dock. He, he did everything. He ended up working for, for builders. Now, my man was as good as I am, uh, what we might call traditional male, you know, <laughs> duties. He couldn't do anything. I used to do a whole 20-minute thing about my old man paper in the front room. You couldn't go in there. <laughs> we was all making sit in the kitchen. No, you, first off, there was the, my mum saying, Fred, front room needs doing again. He said, you know, only did it six months ago. He's trying to give me a heart attack. Said, Fred, I can't. I can't have people around. It's disgracing that front room, mm-hmm. you know, and he had, and if you remember then, you had to go to a wallpaper shop and get wallpaper books, which weighed a ton, yeah. and would like the Gutenberg Bible <laughs> with a handle on, bring them home and go through and find the square page that you thought, that's it. 
And what do you think, Danny? Do you like that one or that one? I said, that one. Oh, no, no, no. And my old man said, just pick one. I don't, don't know any of them. And back he'd have to go up, to pick, up, up sorry, docs, get two more books, break his back. But when he used to be actually decorating, he'd take three days up to decorate. We, were, we couldn't go in the front room while he was doing it. We used to sit in the kitchen and just hear the most explosive swearing coming out. Anything? <laughs> what do you make me do? This is fucking screaming and shouting. And, and he never had a pasteboard. He used to turn the settee upside down, <laughs> I promise you, and put a sheet over it. That was his pasteboard. And uh, once we was in there and we were sitting in the kitchen biting our knuckles because you don't let him hear you laughing. That's it. You fucking do it. And go around the Jolly Gardeners. Uh, so, uh, I mean, no one was scared of him, but he was a very, he was like, he was like totally surprised. I know the old man and he's screaming and shouting and then we go oh for fuck's sake and we're smashing at his glass <laughs> and we thought what's happened and my mum said what's your bleeding down he's running in the front room I say I know nothing about that ground. I'm sure these ain't used anymore. It used to be a thing when you was lining up wallpaper with a plumb line you put a long string with a weight on the end yeah. so you knew the edges were straight mm-hmm. <laughs> well we could hear him before it saying stay still you bastard <laughs> Stay still, you bastard. <laughs> this is the plumb line he's trying to get to, to, to hang straight. And he says, stay still, you bastard. And then we heard the shattering of glass. What had happened? He'd lost patience with it, which for me, old man was about three or four seconds. <laughs> and thrown it through the front room window, right? <laughs> thrown it out over the wall towards where the railway was. And my mum come in, he was standing there with his hands on his hips. <sighs> <laughs> this rage. I mean, I said, what's the matter with you, you nutty bastard? Well, you don't bet not now. Not now. I've got the box of it. Not now. And I used to sit there and this kind of dialogue, I mean, it's verbatim, you know, I know it's not Oscar Wilde, but <laughs> and I used to hear the night now, who's, who's going to come and I'll get the portal to come and do it, but not now, but I've got, I've got me wild up. That's what you used to say. I've got <laughs> me wild up. I've got me wild up. <laughs> the other, uh, I called the second book Going Off Alarming. That was the other thing you used to uh, say. Yeah. I was around, I was going off alarming. Going right? off um, alarming. But he, he had his wild up. Anyway, it was only, he only, he's only brought back to the real world when my mum said, you know, you could have hit Tom the tortoise. We had a tortoise called Tom. <laughs> you know, could have, and he went, no, I've not hit Tom. Don't be so dramatic. I've not hit Tom the tortoise. He's gone over the railway. That one. I said, you know, we've got to bowl the window up. Anyway, she went out to ring the porter. In flat, used to have a porter who lived in one of the blocks would come around and do jobs. And, uh, as you went out, you went, Danny, go in the garden, make sure I ain't killed Tom the Torx. <laughs> he thought he might have done. He actually thought he might have done. Uh, anyway, I don't know how we drifted into that from the wonderful calm of the smell of the E.T. ride. But my first one is the smell of the E.T. ride. So, wonderful. All right. All right. That's the first one in. So what's number two? It's a book. Uh, I'm mixing up the uh, kind of spiritual, ephemeral and physical. Uh, it's a book called The Book of Nonsense. Now, there's many, many books called The Book of Nonsense. I've got it here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's this particular volume. I don't even see that. That that particular volume, right? Yeah. If you look online, it's edited by R.L. Green. I think it came out about 1959 with beautiful colour plates by Charles Folkard. And, and it's a very substantial compendium of British nonsense, mainly from the Victorian era, but, uh, but certainly going back well be, before that. Mm. Uh, and... I went to a Rover Ive Junior Mix, used to be on Rover Ive New Road. It was knocked down in about 1973 and replaced with a modern school, which since has been knocked down and replaced with an even more modern school, <laughs> but it's still on that site. Yeah. Uh, see, I have only, only went to two schools, went there and then another one at the top of Depot High Street, but that was my primary school. And um, the library uh, in there was, the school libraries used to be pretty good. And I took this out one day because it had um, uh, things like the Jabberwocky in it. And it had, and, and uh, I think my my dad had read me uh, The Jumblies. Right, he had a yeah. book indoors. And when I was little, he used to read me The Jumblies and also The Pied Piper. And one of my earliest memories is that 
Guinness breath sitting on his lap while he read the Pied Piper. Huh. Right. Uh, and when I was about eight, he said, uh, here's a book you like. And he gave me the ragged trousers philanthropist. <laughs> <laughs> when I was like, I had a go at that. I didn't actually read it. I was about 11, but he gave me that. You're like that. Here's a uh, book you'll like. Yeah. I know. He, honestly, he gave me the ragged trousers philanthropist, right? Uh, <laughs> so it gives you an idea of my man's politics. So um, I took this book down from the shelf and it just absolutely mesmerized me. And without which I would not have become a writer. I would not have done anything. There, there's other Books called The Book of Nonsense, which usually go with Lewis Carroll and Edward Lear and God mm. knows who else. Mm. This has everything in it. It is the most wondrous, extraordinary book I, I've ever read. <laughs> and I bought my daughter, she's a school teacher. And you read it and it's got it's got everything from, um, you know, um, uh, all the straw Peter things, uh, Johnny Head in the Air. It's got all of Lear's limericks, which people always decry it. Um, you know, because he says, you know, there was an old man of Cuba and it ends up a strange old man of Cuba. The same line, yeah. But that was the style at the time. It was only like 50 years later that limericks made sense yes. by rounding themselves off. This is nonsense. And and Edward Lear's limericks have the end line because they are nonsense. Yeah. When you have an end line that is a punchline, they're not nonsense anymore. They have a point. Uh, and the, the, certainly the Victorians around 1880, 90 did not expect it to end with a joke. Yeah, in a way the joke is the fact that they're weird. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, let me open this at any one of them. Uh, it also includes my favourite title for a story in characters, the story of the four children that went around the world. It's got the Quangle Wangles hat, the Pobble who has no toes, mm -hmm. all of those, you know, the, the dong with the luminous nose, <laughs> all of those. But the four children went around the world. It's Leah's story. And it begins, once upon a time, a long while ago, there were four little people whose names were Violet, Guy, Lionel and Slingsby. <laughs> Slingsby. And they go, they go around the world and they, they run some food and all, all of this. And the, the thing with this book, um, and it also has those things in it, um, uh, puzzles, and it says, two YYUR, two YYUB, ICUR, two YY, number four ME, which yes. now texters would see immediately as two Ys you are, two Ys you be, I see you are, two Ys for me. Mm -hmm. I undertake, there was that little I under the word take, and I would sit and work these out, yeah, yeah. and it just mesmerized me like nothing else. All this, the Janet and John books, yeah, yeah. Mm. this made me realize. It doesn't have to make sense. You can write what you want. Yeah. There's one thing in here, Charles Dickens, lesser known work. Uh, there's a poem by Charles Dickens in about 1890, and I'll do it in full now. It doesn't take long. It goes, chew a chew a tooth, munch, munch, nicey. Chew a chew a tooth, munch, munch, nicey. That's it. <laughs> now, now, they make all these adaptations of Bleak House. We don't need another David Copperfield. Chew a chew a tooth. That's what we need. Chew a chew a tooth. Munch, munch. It's called The Cannibal. Six-part BBC drama. But they call it now the first season we could get out of that. <laughs> but there's so many wonderful, you know, the, uh, the other day um, upon the stair, I saw a man who wasn't there, yeah, who yeah. wasn't there against. All of these are in here. Mm. It's absolutely, it hasn't got the Pied Piper. That's the only omission. But it's got tons of stuff. That uh, you've never seen anywhere else. But as a kid, as I say, about six and seven, I would read this and I could show it to mates of mine. I'd go, they'd go, that don't make sense. That's silly. And I thought, yes, yes. Honestly, it was as liberating as that. And that, in conjunction with getting the Goons albums out, the Spar Road Library, yeah. we used to go to Spar Road. My old man would um, go and get my mum and him. My mum liked soundtracks. My old, uh, anyway, and he'd say to me, go on, you can choose one, boy. Hmm. And I'd always take a comedy album, the, the Hancock albums. And the Goons albums, and hearing this, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you, you don't do it as a formal thing, but hearing this, not even playfulness, this genius, we're just taking the language and saying, you know what, you can all walk that way. 
I'm walking this way. <laughs> and to me, that's more of a spirit of rock and roll than any other record I heard. To me, that opened the door for Frank Zappa's music, the idea that, well, if, if words can mean anything, and you don't have to do anything. Mm. And in fact, it's harder to actually get in the book of nonsense, I suspect, than some of the more worthy prose books. But the poetry I, I've never cared for. I don't, I don't understand poetry, and that's my fault. I know that. Mm -hmm. I don't understand poetry. I, I don't understand um, allusion or imagery. Never have. <laughs> great, great friends of mine. I say, you don't like poetry, read this. And I'll read it, and, I, and I'll get to the end of it. And so, well, it's, it's did you not... Because they're not introspective, you see. Don't you feel that? Have you never been there? You know, that bit where it says, pain destroys me drop by drop. What do you think about that? I say, <laughs> more appropriately, whiskey. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but, but uh, and that's my fault. However, uh, nonsense and things like this have opened more doors than you care. And because, and then uh, I discovered Beachcomber long before I got Woodhouse. I a beachcomber, mm. which equally is, of course, the great teacher of Milligan and everybody else and, and the inheritor of all this, the, uh, the beachcomber books mm. when i started to read those i got it through the spike milligan series i didn't know he was and that sort of stuff and it does train your mind to um you know they, they say drugs and, and and spiritualism opens up the third eye there's another one <laughs> there's another one which makes you look at the world and think that's funny ah. you know I, I that's why i've never given into the dark or you know i don't uh I've genuinely uh, people again they think well you worked at the bbc i and I was going to put it in the end as, um, you know, the thing I hate, but I figured it's 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 a bit pat, it's a bit cliche, you know, the news, right? Mm. I've never, ever followed the news. I have no interest in it. I don't have a phone. I don't have a philosophy against mobile phones. Much. It's never, it, it didn't, it just, people have bought them for us, but I've, you know, you go out, I don't go out a lot, but you go out and people ring. Wendy says, oh, we'll be back about four. <laughs> And they say, can I have his number? I promise I won't give it to him anymore. She goes, no, he really hasn't. He really don't, doesn't have a phone. He'll no. be back about four. So what, about, what about if something happened to your kids? We well, you can't live by fear. Anyway, but that is indicative <laughs> of the fact that I've never read news. I don't read the news. I don't, I don't, uh, you know, you pick up the big headlines around the place. You know, I was aware of, you know, not, unaware of 9-11 and things. Well, in a way, if it's important, someone will tell you. There is that, mm -hmm. you know, and because I didn't know about the royal family, the other, it's got me such trouble then, and that genuinely was naivety and, and ignorance. It was, and it's entirely my own fault, but that's how that happened yeah. in conjunction with a stupid thing I used to do on the radio. I used to do that thing, Monkeys Dressed as Famous People plus Fairground Music. Yeah, yeah. If you remember that, it's very, very funny. It, it was of a piece with what we're talking about, nonsense. You know, it, it's, it's, it was appalling and awful, the consequences of it, not for me, but to shed. But anyone knows, I used to have these patches made with a monkey in a top hat looking pretty much like the one that uh, uh, tweeted uh, and dressed up all posh. Mm. And we used to send them to people, people who don't know, I used to do this thing, making out I was I couldn't get this idea away, television wouldn't listen to And I used to say to whoever was sitting opposite me, Balin or Amy or David Quo and people, I'd say, isn't this a solid idea? They won't even give me a meeting. It's monkeys dressed as famous people plus fairground music. A door in a field is there, just a door in a field. Some fairground music plays. The door opens and a monkey comes through it and the voiceover says, well, she once ruled an empire the sun never set. It's Queen Victoria. And the monkey would look at the camera and move out and then the door was shut and then it would open again and go, why is the grandfather of alternative rock and some say jazz itself? It's Frank Zappa. And the monkey, and off they would go. So we would ask people to write in all the time with their suggestions. Now, occasionally people would say, you know, Michael Jackson, Muhammad Ali, and you think we can't do that because of the, the correlation. Yeah, no, yeah. Of course, entirely aware. So in, in all good faith, they would say it. They would say, you know, uh, Tchaikovsky and um, I, I don't know, Hendrix or something. And you say, well, we'll do Tchaikovsky. And, and that was it. Mm -hmm. And it was, I did it for 10 years or more. There were even people realized it on uh, YouTube. 
So I saw that thing, um, Royal Baby Ball. Now, forgive me, but I saw that. And I just thought for my audience, I said Royal Baby Leaves Hospital. So for my audience, I thought that, that they'll get that. Boom, mm-hmm. boom. Uh-huh. And that, that, that was the entire, that was that. Yeah, yeah. You know, when somebody got in touch and said, I mean, I, I, no, I mean, remember it's before the pair of them went off to America. And the only members of the royal family I know, the Queen, Queen Mother, who I believe has left us now, I know that. And people like Viscount Lindley. <laughs> yes. That's my, that, I've got absolutely no interest in celebrity royal. And that's what got us into such terrible trouble there, yeah. quite rightly so. But it, that's what it was born of, something so stupid and felicitous and larky. See, when I was on the six o'clock show with Mike Glassball, which was a red nose trouser dropping picture post, if you will. Um, a weekly show that ran for eight years and massive success. Yeah. It ran by the same department who used to do things like the London program, which was a very serious issue show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Walden at the weekend on Weekend World, theme tune by Mountain. Um, <laughs> and we were the big hit. But the people who were in charge of it, it was John Burt, who actually ran a London week. They were frankly embarrassed by it. This silly show. They got to dinner parties and we go, Oh, do you do that Michael Aspel thing? What do you say? Well, we also do almost all of television now, leave university and don't want to be associated with silliness, mm-hmm. stupidity, a light stuff a situation comedy that would rather be you know it's so easy to sit there with a straight face and talk about what's happening you know with the war at the moment mm-hmm. that's easy the other stuff is much more inventive very hard to do and that's why uh, television is now overwhelmed by reality shows because it puts that attitude in charge if you look at dragon's den there's the money people looking at the talent judging them if you look at x factor there they are the people you never want to meet who run record companies <laughs> the worst people in the world <laughs> sitting there judging people will tell you if you're any good or not the apprentice what's the prize a job in the city yeah now we growing up to the 1990s every sketch that needed a sap an idiot an easy mark would be the banker the accountant yeah. monty python hello my name's arthur putty i'm an accountant <laughs> now now that that that's the that's the to be aspiration. That's I the aim. Yes. Wolf. I move money around. Mm. That's how it's become. Very true. And everything has been moved out to the sides. That's why I won't buy dark. Stop making series where most of it's set in a sickly green interview room in a police station. Hmm. Cut away to a poor woman crying because someone's been murdered. Music cellos. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because it's really hard to actually say I've got something here's solid gold. I won't hear a word said against. And by the way, I'm not associating this with solid gold, but the BBC have announced that Mrs. Brown's boys are doing some more. Well, the amount of people clutching their pearls and looking down their long yets, mm. uh, they do that in, in a way to say, oh, my God, it's so coarse. Well, I'm afraid 19 million people watch it. <laughs> yes, quite. There it is. That may not be justification. No. And Brendan, who is Mrs. Brown, by the way, I didn't even know his story. He's been around for a very long time. He was an agent. He was Peter Kay's agent for a while. Oh, was he? The word is that a Peter who um, uh, obviously know very well, but when he played like the O2 in the place he mentioned, not only did he get a cut of the bar, which was, you know, not everyone is given to. I've heard, and I think it might have been Brendan that did the deal, I don't know, that got a cut of the car park as well. Now that, my friends, that's power, right? (laughs) But Brendan was his agent, and he was an agent, and he did lots of things. He also wrote a film for Angelica Houston. Good Lord. Called Mrs. Brown. He found out where Angelica Houston lived because he mainly lives in America. And he went to her house and popped it, rang the you know thing at the entrance to the grounds. Um, is Miss Houston in? Who's calling? You know, Brendan O'Carroll from the, no, no, she can't see anyone. So he just put it in the mailbox. <laughs> forgot about it. Three months later, gets a call from Angelica Houston. The film was made. Wow. The first Mrs. Brown is a drama starring Angelica Houston. See, all of this is so. This doesn't justify, although there's some of the jokes on Mrs. Brown that made me die. They really have. But to, to thunder against that in, in the face of the dearth of anything else, yeah. don't need any more police crime dramas. Oh, blimey, we've been on an hour and ten minutes. Oh, man. 
I know. Well, the the, the uh, Wendy and in, in a casual aside and great truth, my wife Wendy. We were at the airport going on holiday, and she was trying to find a book to read on the plane. And every book she picked up said, uh, you know, um, Lady Boyle Disposable had it all. Uh, mansion house in the country centre, <laughs> but uh, in the future was a very dark secret. Oh, she put that one down. Pick the next one up. Mary, no time. I looked really like her life was perfect, but nobody knew of the tragedy in her past. And she, and she went, every one of these books says it turns rotten is going to give you, give you the hump. If somebody wrote a book called A Lovely Story About Great People, I'd buy it. So I wrote some. But she's absolutely right. Why do they all have to have this, you know? Um, or even worse nowadays, almost everything is is a recreation or a retelling of a true life drama. So, in fact, you already know the end. You're, of course. Whether people just want to sit around sobbing into their handkerchiefs, in these days, of all days, rather than skipping down the bridal path with a hat on the side of their head, I don't get. No. And I, it's my fault, maybe. Maybe that makes me shallow. But sh- you know what? Froth and shallow has <laughs> always been my trademark. And it ain't as easy as you think. Being deep dish and dark, <laughs> ten a penny. Easy. Throw a brick out the window, you let ten penny. But ten people who want to sit around and tell you how terrible life is. Yeah. We might know that already. How about we do something about it? I do apologise. That's why I'm never asked for television meetings anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they are oh, extraordinary, aren't they? Uh, yes, a, a friend of mine. Uh, did you know Jeremy Pascal when you worked at the Enemy? No, no, I didn't. No, no. he may have been no. just before you. Then he was actually known as Jeremy the Monkey's Pascal because oh. they said to him, "We've got two interviews. Uh, you can you can talk to uh, <laughs> yes. the Monkeys or the Beatles." And he said, "Oh, everybody's spoken to the Beatles. I'll do the oh. Monkeys." They was always called Jeremy the Monkeys, Pascal. Well, of course, uh, uh, these days when everyone's rediscovered and rehabilitated, and quite rightly in the Monkeys sense, because I, I, I yeah. did I love the Monkeys and even more now uh, their music. But at the time, that was a, that was a stretch because all the Monkeys wanted to do was interview the Beatles. That's <laughs> all they wanted to, do, and they did get to be in the same rooms, Adam. Mm. If you ever see the photographs of like uh, Mike Nesmith and uh, Peter Talk or any of them, certainly. Um, Mike Nesbeth was the one sitting in the Beatles sessions when they came to London. They were they were in the studio when they did the Sgt. Pepper sessions. Their expressions are the very definition of hangdog. They look <laughs> like they can't say sorry enough for me. <laughs> the Beatles were very gracious, said, you're doing all right. Yeah, but you yeah. see and, and you look and as Peter talked looking down at his knees to think, I can't go back home and do that bullshit. It wasn't bullshit. Their albums are great. But at the time, at the time, they were seen very much as a boy band and, and what they were, yeah. uh, which, which, is, which is fine. And now we know that the record are great, but have a look at the photos of the Beatles oh, and the do, monkeys yeah. together. And the monkeys look like fellas. What can we tell you? What can we tell you? <laughs> Just a bunch of actors. But then you look at you know look at they basically as we know based on a hard day's night and help, which I saw seventeen times. Of course, help mm. uh, nearly put it in this list. Nearly made it help, uh, which is always looked at as the poor cousin. But it, for me, it's not, not. I wouldn't defend it as a piece of work. Hard day's night is the one. I saw it 17 times because my sister went to see it 32 <laughs> uh, because you all know this uh, uh, films opened in North London before they did South London. So it was, it was over in mile end, yeah. but it wasn't in the old Kent road, you know, <laughs> no. um, and you had to wait two weeks before it came over this side of London. So that meant walking <laughs> through the arrived tunnel or getting the train from Surrey docks to go and see it. My sister went to see it f- four times every day. Those days, of course, you didn't have to leave the cinema. No, just stay there. Well, you walk in any time mm-hmm. to a film mm-hmm. uh, and just walk in and try and piece together what was happening. Uh, you, you could walk in and say, uh, okay, the film's already been on an hour, but you watch it round again to see what, uh, you know, and then you'd say, oh, that's his sister. Oh, that's, what he sh- that's why he shot the other bloke. You'd piece it together for auteurs, putting this together painstakingly. Um, so, uh, but Help was coupled with a film called Mozambique, 
which was a two-hour gritty, sweaty story about espionage and intrigue in the Nigerian oil business. They thought, course, yeah. couple it with this, that will drive them all out because otherwise they're going to sit there all day. Yeah. My cousin Lynn, who lived just the other side of Jamaica Road, mm-hmm. uh, she's in Hard Day's Night. Go on. Yeah, she was in the Beatles Shut fan up. club when they filmed... They filmed it. They invited the Beatles fan club from London to go and see it. Oh, my sister never did. She was number like 17. Oh. She's the girl who climbed Buckingham Palace Gates when they got the NBA. was on the front of the Daily Express the next day. Oh, that's annoying. The policeman reaching up to pull her down. Really? Yeah. It must have been a lottery then because she got an invitation, went wow. along, and she's one of the close-ups of the screaming. <gasps> yeah. My, that's, uh, that's plenty there. In fact, it's the best scream because it's um, She Loves You. And they go, you know, you should. And the close-up of her going, ah! Do you know what, Mike? She could tour colleges in America on the strength she of that. A very do. good college tour in that I'm that girl. <laughs> they would winkle every detail of memory out of that. Uh, but the, the, the Mozambique, they didn't drive them out. I, I've seen Mozambique 17 times by, <laughs> by extension. We, they, girls used to turn up with, you know, uh, sandwiches and sit and talk all the way through Mozambique, waiting for help to come back on. And every line of help I know, uh, I, I, that's another one of the smells. I know this is getting towards Proust now, but mm. the smells of old cinemas and the, the echoey noise as you walked in from the, the, the dialogue on the screen. <laughs> you could hear it outside before you went through the second doors into the theatre. Yeah. When the talks would see you down and you try and make sense of where you were. But that, that's kind of smell of old velvet and, and cigarette smoke and, and sweat, I guess, that, that the Astoria in the old Kent Road used to smell of. That's extraordinarily evocative. When I look at old photos and I collect thousands of old photos, I'll, if there's a cinema in it, first checking what's on. And I think, I can imagine, do you get a ticket for that? And they used to come up, didn't they, like um, out of a little slit in a silver grid in front of them. Yeah. On a nice bedong, and they'd come out like that, which would then be torn in half. <laughs> <laughs> but the smell of cinema, which was a lovely thing, and it might have sound terrible, but it was a lovely thing, the smell of big old 3,000-seater cinemas. Huge. Yeah, exactly. You'd look in the paper. You never knew what was on because the only information you got was looking in the paper and say, oh, the Vikings is on this week because once a film disappeared, it disappeared. There was no other way of seeing it. You saw a film from other like concerts. Mm. You saw it and that was it. That was it. Your memory of it is your memory of it. There's no other way of seeing it. No. Even a film like Mary Poppins, you had to wait three or four years till it was re-released, mm. a huge film, in the Hancock's The Sunday Afternoon at Home when they got nothing to do. And he says, should mm-hmm. pictures? What's on? And he says that and she gets, he goes, hmm. I bet Davis in them little foxes and says, yeah, and he goes, I've seen both of them. And, uh, but that's how you knew what was on the pictures. Yeah. But the Beatles I met all four of. I've met all four in my life. And I know it's a good poker hand that whenever mm. you play. Who's the most famous hand you've shaken, Mike? <laughs> uh, I won't even bother to Hang think on. who it is because the Beatles win. Look at this hand here. Yeah. Also, Bob Hope, Muhammad Ali, wow. Tony Newley. And I've, I've uh, all, yeah, I know. Uh, that, mm. That's why. I'm not allowed to have the ump. I'm not allowed <laughs> no. to have a full story myself. I've had, the, a, you know, it's, it's a, only a vowel difference between radio and rodeo. And I feel the two have been very good to me one way and the other emotionally. So, yeah, and, and, and you do have to check yourself sometimes. It's, you know, more. I worked because of the six o'clock show. Not all the nitwit groups, mm. the Sex Pistols, the Clash and all of this. I did all that when I was on the NME. But because I was on the six o'clock show, I did stuff. With Milligan, Tommy Cooper, Malcolm and Wise, Amazing. Ken Dodd, yeah. uh, uh, Mel Brooks, it's on and on and on and on and on. We have big guests there every single week, but I've got no photos of it. <laughs> I'm going to be in a nursing home 
well, in about five years, and I'll be sitting there going, um, oh, I, I met, you know, Michael Jackson. That's oh, I, right, I, Mr. I, Baker, of I, course I, you did. Yes, yeah. he, of course you did. He's off again, love him. Yeah. Just, keep, just keep nodding and saying, yes, you did, you know. <laughs> Unbelievably, though, I have. And so that's probably June the 22nd next year, we'll draw a line under it, which is probably when we finish this particular podcast, <laughs> and say that will be plenty. Draw Stumps Baker and, and go off and do nothing. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, well, um, I've really enjoyed part one of my time capture. <laughs> <laughs> Listen in later, you I can hear the second episode. Dear God, I hope the audience did. I just feel like I'm talking to an old friend here, everybody, which is exactly what a, a cunning and good host does. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, we saw it off by the yard. So here we go. Me and Barry Cry was only supposed to have done 45 minutes. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine? I've spoken you? to that Barry. Was... That is a two-episode one. Well, I've, I've, so I've known him on and off over the years yeah. and... Uh, I did the very last show Kenny ever ever did. It was called Gibberish. It's called, oh. and, and and I was on that. But we always got on tremendously, absolute trouble. Obviously, we did. Mm. But him and I together, we, <laughs> impossible. His, his son who was there, Bob had to uh, <laughs> press play and record as soon as we got there. And then we finished. We said thanks very much. He said that's a two parter. And Barry said, um, "You got to rush off." I said, "No, no." He said, "You want another one?" I said, "I'll have another one, Barry." <laughs> and we went downstairs and we carried on. And the, the crew come downstairs all again. Went, should we set up again? They're they're off. And we stayed there because, as you know, he he could take the pace. He really oh, could. I can take the pace, but not like Barry. And he keep going out. So this was only two months before he died. Mm. He kept going out in the street with another cigarette. Yeah. In the end, we stood out there and we had a, quite a few drinks. And the last I saw of him, which is a lovely thing, he was going to get a cab and I was going to let me have it. Right, he said, where are you going? I said, Waterloo. And he was with me. He said, go on, I'm going to finish this cigarette. And I uh, got in a cab and he pulled up the one behind it and he just said, give us a minute. And he was finishing the cigarette. And I went and I looked at the back window of the cab and he still hadn't got in it. And he just put his thumb up and did the let's have a drink sign. And that's about the last memory I've got. Of it. Uh, lovely. The cab driver's sitting there thinking, come on, mate, to West End. And he was finishing his cigarette while he get into this cab. Uh, what uh, a man. Just an extraordinary memory for all those things. But I think it it's is. like, like you, each memory sparked another memory. Yeah, it, it is. You know, But mm. without it, I hope, I hope we take the edge of um, the, the dread nostalgia of it. It, it. These are just things that happened, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and I hope they're of interest mm. because it's certainly extraordinary that I, I would never never take it for granted to say the least that, um, as we'll probably hear on the next one, I came out of in 1979, I just happened to have a load of mates of mine who came over on Freddie Lake, the Sky Train. I'm working for the enemy in New York. They just used to send you over there for a couple of months to see what was going on. <laughs> uh, I'm 20 years old. And, uh, uh, and that's after a pretty spectacular thing since I left school. Anyway, so I'm in New York. My mates all come over because the enemy had a flat there and eight of them come over. My old supporters just kiff on the floor of the flat. Uh, they all turned up. We all went out for a good drink around Columbus Circle. We came out of there. Could have turned left, could have turned right, could have crossed the road, could have gone any other way. Because we going to go down to Greenwich Village to the John's Pizzeria. All civilised people agree, best pizzas in the world. Uh, but we turned right. Um, to, to get the bus or whatever he's going to do. Walking towards us, John Lennon and Yoko Ono. No. I know, I know. And it, 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 I'll tell the story on the next one because people think, oh, he's pulling these out the air. No, there's proof of it. And I wrote about it. John, who hadn't been seen in public for like four years or certainly done nothing. And uh, whereas my mates all stood around, he said, great thing John used to say, great thing about New York, I can walk around and nobody bothers you. Well, I wasn't having any of that. <laughs> I have my own view on that. And uh, hopefully on part two, we can get around to that, Mike. You would have said, John, I haven't washed my hands since I saw you last. <laughs> exactly. My battery's running out on this, Mike. Okay, mate. We might have to physically do a second half of this. Uh, <laughs> no, no, honestly, because I've got to run right into the station a quarter two as well. Okay, What's the best all right. Uh, we could do it um, 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah? Yeah. Tomorrow? 
Yes. All right, let's do it. The next two are really good as well. It's fine. No, we'll pick it up. We'll okay. pick it up there. All right, um, we'll do exactly that. Dan? Apologies to say, but I said that when I knew it'd be an hour. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's lovely to talk to you. I look forward to the next and bit. And you, right? Absolutely. We'll, right. Get, we'll get straight, straight on the horse again. All right, keep well. All right, mate. See you then. Ta up. You have been listening to part one of My Time Capsule with the extraordinary Danny Baker. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens. I won't bother to give you all the normal info at this point. I'll save that treat for the real end of this episode. Just think of this as a chance to, you know, go to the loo and make a cup of tea. Danny and I will be waiting for you in episode two whenever you think you have the stamina. Of course, I've always got the stamina myself. Well, traditionally, we're a very fit family. Yep, I come from a long line of conga dancers. Think about it. See you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.